This is the Green Street News, the environmental health show and podcast. Patty and Doug Wood and our worldwide network of experts keeping you up to date on what in the world is happening and how it may affect your life. Welcome back. People who are aware that our world is awash in chemicals, that they are present in almost every product we buy, are used to reading labels. After a while, you begin to know some of the worst chemicals and you avoid them when you can. But what about things with no ingredient list, like your clothes? Your clothes? Yes, your clothes. It turns out they can be filled with toxic chemicals that can make you sick or worse. That story and Patty with the Week's headlines, all coming up on this edition of Green Street News. Stay with us. Okay, Patty Wood, what happened in the world of environmental health this week? Some good articles were published. Um, The first one is from Environmental Health News, written by the staff there. And the title is, Are You Spreading PFAS on Your Morning Toast? Oh, good grief. Wrappers from eight brands of butter have detectable levels of total fluorine, an indicator of the group of chemicals known as PFAS, according to a new report from Momovation. Partnering with EHN... The environmental wellness blog and community had 32 wrappers from 22 brands tested by a U.S. Environmental Protection Agency certified lab and found levels of total fluorine in 16 of the wrappers. Fluorine is a strong indicator of forever chemicals, which have been linked to everything from cancer to birth defects to lower vaccine effectiveness. The report builds on environmental health news and Momovation's growing library of consumer products tested for evidence of PFAS, including products such as contact lenses, pasta, tomato sauces, sports bras, tampons, dental floss, and electrolytes. And now the wrappers of your butter. Correct. And I'm sure there are wrappers on all kinds of dairy products and foods that have any kind of grease or oil in them that they don't want to you know, leak through. But anyway, they did butter. Let me go on. Linda Birnbaum, scientist, emeritus, and former director of the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences and the National Toxicology Program and scholar at residence at Duke University, told Momovation, quote, it's disappointing to see indications of PFAS in butter wrappers. This is an important issue to tackle in the future in order to protect pregnant women and children from the potential pitfalls of PFAS. I highly recommend the industry fix this problem as soon as possible, unquote. They have to jump on this right away. I mean, PFAS has become a household word now. Everybody understands PFAS is a problem. They can't continue to make their butter wrappers with PFAS. So now let me give the bad news to everybody out there who's listening. People who eat more takeout, fast food, and pizza often have higher levels of PFAS in their bodies than people who regularly cook at home. The butter brands that had detectable levels of total fluorine, which means PFAS, include... H-E-B Organic, Kate's, Kerrygold, Kirkland, Maple Hill Organic, Mayoko's, Organic Valley, and Wegmans. Those are the ones that have detectable levels. They have PFAS in them. So are there good ones? Are there ones that don't have it? Yes. And the brands that had butter wrappers that were free from any PFAS include 365 Whole Foods, Clover, Sonoma, Horizon Organic, Nature's Promise, Strauss Family, and Trader Joe's. Okay, so obviously it's 
it's possible to make the butter wrappers without PFAS. Correct. So I would imagine they're going to quickly get this out. They have to. I mean, right. it's a public relations nightmare. Right. And what's really interesting is that the most expensive brands like Organic Valley and Kate's, right? Kate's is the one with the... Wood. And Kerrygold, which is from Ireland, pure Irish butter. Yeah. It sounds so good. Yeah. They all have it in it. Whereas the inexpensive brands like Trader Joe's, Horizon Organic, have no PFAS. Anyway, these are listed, if you want to go and see them again, they are listed on the Momovation website, which is momovation.org. All right. Well, good for them. I'm glad they've done this testing. I'm sorry to hear it because these are some of the brands of butter that I see in our refrigerator. Every once in a while. That's correct. All right. Interesting. Okay, so this is also from Environmental Health News, written by Allison Guy, and the title is New Study Shows Oil and Gas Production Responsible for $77 Billion in Annual U.S. Health Damages. According to a new study published in May in Environmental Health Research, air pollution from fossil fuel production alone kills 7,000 people a year in the U.S., while exacerbating 420,000 existing asthma cases and triggering 2,200 new incidences of childhood asthma. Health damages from the three air pollutants studied, ozone, nitrogen dioxide, and fine particulate matter, carry an annual price tag of $77 billion. For years, the fossil fuel industry has touted natural gas, which is mainly composed of methane, as a safer bridge fuel between coal and renewable energy. Oil and gas production sites are laced with invisible leaks. Methane and other air pollutants seep from wells, both active and inactive, and from equipment. Methane isn't particularly harmful on its own, but when it mingles with nitrogen oxide, heat, and sunlight, it turns into ozone, the main component of smog. While ozone is beneficial high up in the atmosphere, where it shields the planet from damaging radiation, it acts as a powerful oxidizing chemical in our lungs, inflaming airways, triggering asthma attacks, and aggravating chronic respiratory diseases. Infants and children, pregnant people, and the elderly are particularly susceptible. An estimated 8.7 million people die prematurely every year from outdoor exposure to fine particulate matter, which carries many of the same health hazards as ozone. These minute particles, less than one-thirtieth the width of a human hair, are small enough to penetrate into the lungs and bloodstream, where they can kill via heart attacks, strokes, or other cardiovascular events. This is the same size particle we're talking about with the smoke from the Canadian the wildfire wildfires, smoke. right? That's right. This particulate matter is terribly, terribly dangerous. Yeah. For the study, the team ran EPA emissions data through computer models that simulate the chemical interactions of air pollutants where they travel and their effects on local communities. Predictably, ozone and other toxics are highest nearest their source, but that doesn't mean that places farther afield face no risks. Cities including New York, Baltimore, Boston, and Chicago catch the drift from oil and gas production from states like Texas, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Oklahoma, and mm. Louisiana. The ubiquity of lung-damaging pollution along the oil and gas supply chain is another argument in favor of phasing out fossil fuels. But until the country transitions to much more renewable energy, experts say we need to tighten up standards to protect public health. You know, we're always looking at the direct costs. It's so hard to look at the, the downstream health costs of something like that because lots of things can cause 
you know, respiratory illness and so on. The industry gets away with this all the time because yeah. people are not like dying in the streets. I mean, that does happen occasionally, yeah. right? When there's an air inversion or something like that. But mostly these are, these are illnesses that happen, you know, sometimes years or even decades after these, these types of exposures. And it's very hard to draw a straight line between an exposure and a disease onset. This the industry can hide behind that so easily. It's so interesting that New York and other cities are caught in the drift from mm -hmm. you know from far away places. You think, yeah. well, you know, it may be polluted in Pennsylvania. Well, we, look at the, look at how far away those Canadian wildfires were. That's true. Okay, and look at yeah. I mean they were happening in the in the northern part of Quebec, Canada, and we were choking we were, yeah, in, in New the, York City. Yeah. All right. What else you got? This last one is really. Is interesting to me because I keep wondering what the answer is to this question. Okay. Will toxic haze and the 2023 danger season make a difference? This was also published in Environmental Health News written by Derek Jackson. The year is only half done and the United States has already been enveloped by acrid orange skies in the east, battered by winter rains and floods in California, seared by record winter temperatures in the south, soaked by a record 26-inch April deluge in Fort Lauderdale and broiled by record spring heat in the Pacific Northwest, Texas and Puerto Rico. Environmental and public health groups are asking whether the nation is at a tipping point of urgency to fight climate change. So far, no alarm bell has been loud enough to stop the sleepwalking. <laughs> the usual and eventual response to such things was summed up in an associated press story five years ago after Superstorm Sandy. The headline was, five years after Superstorm Sandy, the lessons haven't sunk in. Whether we wake up or not, a harsh climate is the new normal. To date in 2023, the United States has already suffered nine climate and weather disasters resulting in at least a billion dollars of damage according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. You would think that money would finally get to people. You know, finally, oh my God. It's know. not their money. It's not coming out of their pockets. It's well, the insurance money. companies are gonna have to, are gonna well, get, yeah, you know, gonna get excited about this because exactly, it's a lot of money out of their exactly pocket. exactly right. And that fits with the last five years, which have seen an annual average of $18 billion weather and climate disasters. A quarter of the damages have caused major home insurers to astronomically raise rates in states seeing yeah. frequent severe weather and climate events, yeah. such as California, Florida, Louisiana, Arkansas, Texas, and Colorado. All state and state farm have announced they will not issue any new homeowner policies in California. Like a good neighbor, state farm isn't there anymore. That's right. The overall scientific consensus on global warming cannot get more robust. A decade ago, a review of nearly 12,000 studies conducted between 1991 and 2011 found that 97.2% of them agreed that humans were causing global warming. 2021 analysis of more than 88,000 studies since 2012 now finds 99.9% agreement. The call Jeez. for action to stop global warming is growing louder in Latino and black communities hit hardest by fossil fuel pollution and living disproportionately on urban heat islands mm -hmm. that lack trees mm -hmm. and parks. Climate yes. scientists are not sitting on their 99.9% consensus. They have stepped up efforts to expose fossil fuel companies for their deceit and assign responsibility to them for the damage to the planet. Yet, misinformation about climate change persists. Boston University recently held a symposium to strategize on fighting fossil fuel disinformation. 
Benjamin Sovacool, director of Boston University's Institute for Global Sustainability, said, quote, misinformation is pervasive. It's at a very unique moment in our culture and a post-truth society cannot survive, end quote, nor can a post-truth planet. So, mm. I mean, just this week, there was a lot of talk about this weatherman in Iowa, I think it was Iowa, who huh. was receiving death threats for talking about climate change, very scientifically, talking about exactly why these weather patterns persisted in certain areas of the country. And he was getting death threats. His family was getting death threats because he was talking about climate change. What's going on? Because he was talking about climate change and the weather in Iowa is changing. They're having more tornadoes and more torrential downpours and more extreme weather, which is affecting the local economy and people's livelihoods, and yet they're giving him death threats for talking about it, as if talking about it is well, the problem. because it's been so politicized. That's where we are. Climate change has been politicized. It's no longer about science. No, it's not. No, no, no. It's no longer about science. About It's about politics. It's really frightening. All right. Thanks, Patty. You're welcome. The clothes we wear make a statement about us, whether intentional or not. For some people, it's incredibly important that they wear just the right thing. Other people aren't so particular. But either way, everyone has to wear something, and fashion is big business. As of 2023, the global apparel industry was valued at $1.7 trillion and is expected to grow to $3 trillion by 2030. Distinguishing your brand in the intensely competitive fashion industry means finding a way to make your colors look more vibrant, make your clothes keep their shape longer, repel water or stains, stretch as you move, or have other attributes that make them desirable for consumers. And that's where the trouble begins. Because many of the attributes manufacturers and consumers want in their clothes can only be obtained through the use of, wait for it, toxic chemicals. Of course, most people have no idea that the chemical that keeps their shirt from wrinkling is known to cause cancer, or the chemical that repels water is known to disrupt our delicate endocrine system, or that the dye used to make that color jump off the rack in the store is made possible by chemicals that can cause serious health problems when you wear it. If people saw the number of chemicals present in these products, I think they would be really shocked. It would run to 50 ingredients or more. And we would look at that list and we'd say, hey, I don't want formaldehyde in my products. I don't want PFAS forever chemicals in my products next to my skin. But right now, all we're told is that it's 100% polyester or 56%, you know, rayon viscose. That's Alden Wicker, an award-winning investigative journalist and author who several years ago was asked to comment on a radio show about a lawsuit by airline employees who were suing Land's End for the health problems the employees believed were linked to the new uniforms they were required to wear. At the time, I had been writing about fashion sustainability for 10 years, but I hadn't heard anything about this, nothing at all. And so I reached out to a few people, but nobody could tell me anything about it. So I declined to go on the radio show because I don't like to talk about things I don't know about. Um, and four years later, I have an entire book exploring this topic because, you know, when I looked into it, they were one of four different major airlines that had these problems with their uniforms. 
And the reactions they were having were just horrific. So it's it would start with rashes and breathing problems. And then it would sort of spiral into them losing all of their hair, having really extreme fatigue, racing hearts. Uh, some of them, their breathing problems were so bad that they had to be taken off the airplane and taken to the ER, or they went into anaphylactic shock when they pulled these pieces over their heads, uh, hives, all sorts of things. So if it was happening to them, I wanted to look into whether or not it was happening to normal people. There's a handful of people throughout the world who study toxicology or chemical or textile science, specifically at the intersection of toxicology and chemicals and fabrics and fashion. It's just not an area of study that is taken seriously and gets grants for study. So we have a lot of holes in the research. I mean, we have an overwhelming amount of evidence to show that this is a problem. For example, there was a Harvard study that showed that the introduction of airline uniforms roughly doubled the number of symptoms such as breathing problems, rashes, all of those different things in flight attendants. So we know that this is a problem. There's so much more evidence. We know that there are chemicals being discovered that have known links to cancer, to, to sensitivities, to reproductive toxicity. But the holes in the research are being leveraged in order to stave off any accountability or legislation around this. Airline uniforms are not the only articles of clothing infused with chemicals, of course. It turns out that almost every kind of clothing and accessory you can imagine has some kind of chemical footprint. But you will never know which chemicals are in which pieces of clothing because no disclosure is required. This is a problem for ultra-fast fashion brands especially, but also fast fashion brands, mass market brands, mall brands, even sustainable brands, brands that call themselves sustainable, and luxury brands. All of them, there are representations of all those types of uh, children's brands. There are examples of companies that do absolutely nothing around chemical safety in all of those product categories. So you might ask, what are all those chemicals doing in my shirt, my shoes, my underwear? What possible function does a toxic chemical have in a t-shirt? serve all sorts of functions. Some of them are inherent to producing synthetic fibers. So BPA and phthalates are used as plasticizers in things like PVC. You know, if you're getting a clear shoe, that might be PVC. They are inherent to manufacturing polyester, spandex. Uh, so there are some that are just ingredients. Uh, there are dyes. Uh, there are things like lead and heavy metals that are added to dyes in order to brighten them or affix them. There are finishes that are added for performance. So stain repellency, water repellency, anti-odor, anti-wrinkle, easy care. All of those things are put on to maybe provide performance, but really the purpose is so that you can sell a branded textile product and charge more for it. And then there's accidental contamination, just stuff floating around the factory or the warehouse, pesticides, fungicides, things like that, that are not purposefully added, but they end up on there because fashion, you know, it's, you don't know where your fashion has been. Let's put it that way. You don't know where your fashion has been. Well, at least you can always throw your clothes in the washing machine with lots of hot water and detergent and get most of those chemicals out, right? 
If you put something with black dye through your washing machine, it doesn't come out white. Some of these finishes, they're meant to last a long time, right? If you're getting something with an anti-wrinkle finish, you don't want it to wash out the first time you wash it, right? You want that to stay on a long time. And, you know, detergents, fabric softeners, they also are meant to apply fragranced products and substances to your fashion, which clings to it for a very long time. So it will help with some things like if there's accidental contamination of pesticides, if the dye is crocking or like coming off um, when you wear it, uh, things like that, but it's not gonna get rid of everything. Millions of kids around the world play sports. And in developed countries, that means organized leagues and often colorful synthetic uniforms that are water resistant, stain resistant, and bacteria resistant. The chemicals that impart these qualities to the uniforms are not necessarily things we would want any child to be exposed to. I haven't found evidence of triclosan being in workout gear still, but they are using things like nano silver, and researchers have a lot of concerns about what happens when we ingest or absorb nano silver into our body. Um, it's a very new area of industry. So it's also a very new area of research, but as well as these, perf these performance fabrics for going skiing or hiking, inclement weather in general. So yeah, they do have a layer of this class of chemicals called PFAS. There's over 12,000 known types of PFAS. And we've known that these are incredibly toxic for 20 years now, the industry would actually like you to believe that those finishes will never come off, but they're always coming off when we wear them. There's research from Dr. Graham Peasley out of Notre Dame that shows that when you get some of these stain-proof children's uniforms, they're being exposed to high amounts of PFAS every day that they wear them. And you know, we need more research on that, but that's incredibly alarming because PFAS has been linked to several types of cancer, obesity, thyroid disease, um, suppressed immunity, all sorts of things that we don't want our children being exposed to. And it's coming off on your skin, it's coming off in your house dust, and it's coming off in the wash. Special dyes formulated for use with synthetic fabrics, called dispersed dyes, allow clothing made from nylon, polyester, acrylic, and other thermoplastic synthetics to take on bright colors. But they are also linked to skin sensitization, which can be especially troubling for young athletes. A pair of kids' uniform slacks that are water repellent will have PFAS. Uh, in fact, many of them do have PFAS, tests have shown. A synthetic sports uniform, the concern there is that it has skin sensitizing dispersed dyes, which are used for polyester. And many kids won't react, but many kids will react. Uh, many kids have sensitive skin, and if they're sweating in them, that's drawing those dyes out onto their skin. In fact, a lot of the research coming out of Duke started because Dr. Heather Stapleton bought a sports t-shirt for her kid and he started complaining that it, he was itchy and she pulled it off and it had a rash in the pattern of the t-shirt on his back. And 
luckily she has access to world-class testing equipment and it set her and her team off down this five-year road of studying dispersed dyes because they were like what's going on here i mean that's the power of being a mother right that you're like oh i'm gonna study this because this is affecting my family bright colors are one of the things that make fashion what it is when you want to stand out in a crowd, color is the easiest way to do it. And since most fabrics are not naturally colorful, the manufacturing of dyes became big business as the fashion industry grew. The invention of the very first synthetic fossil fuel-based dye set off our entire society down a road of of chemical industry. A lot of the biggest chemical and pharmaceutical companies today got their start as dye manufacturers. So dye, fabric dye is at the root of our entire global chemical industry today. So what should health conscious consumers do? Where can you go to find clothing that has minimal chemicals or no chemicals at all? There are a few like smaller brands that really put chemical safety at the forefront and only make natural clothing without these performance finishes. So if you have really sensitive skin, you can go to my website, ecocult.com, and you can find a lot of those lists like, you know, underwear, yoga pants, all those different things. And then there's a different category, which is mass market brands that do make synthetic products, but have robust chemical management programs. So I'm talking like H&M, Adidas, Nike, Levi's. These brands are testing their products to make sure they're not contaminated with hazardous chemicals, things like that. But a lot of what I talk about is like brand new research, right? So it hasn't trickled into the fashion industry or to your local doctor yet. So what they're saying is safe is a little bit lagging behind what I've discovered in my book. I don't have chemical sensitivities. I think that's just luck. You know, I, I may not be genetically predisposed to it. You know, I grew up tromping around in the woods and visiting the family farm, but I think this is a lot more common than people realize. All the evidence points to one in five people having at least one of these things. Autoimmune diseases, contact dermatitis, chemical sensitivity. I mean, when I was researching the book, whenever I would tell people what the book was about, almost always they would say, oh, I, yeah, I can't do scented products. I have a chemical sensitivity or, or my sister has terrible eczema or like I can't wear polyester. It makes me itch and break out. So I think this is in so incredibly common, but because everybody was being told, oh, there's no evidence, there's no evidence that it was sort of like we were all just gaslighting each other about this. But I think now that this information is out there, I think a lot of people are going to start making that link and saying, oh, right, yeah, that this was a problem and this is what's causing it. I am hoping that this book does help start a movement because I think people just don't know. They're completely shocked. And the book, it's pretty freaky when you read it, but I'm hoping that it does shift to change. I think one of the first things that I would love to see happen is just an ingredient list because I think once people see that, they're not going to be able to look away. And also, I think it's just fair to consumers. Can Some people get tested and realize that they are allergic to certain chemicals that are used to process clothing. And right now they have no way to avoid those chemicals in their everyday life. Alden Wicker, author of the book To Die For, that's D-Y-E, how toxic fashion is making us sick and how we can fight back. 
Alden is also the developer of the website EcoCult. That's E-C-O-C-U-L-T dot com. That's going to do it for our show today. Special thanks to our guest, Alden Wicker, our news editor, Patty Joyce, our engineer, Josh Lyman, associate producer, Toby Ziegler, our social media director, Donna Moss, and our marketing director, Sam Seaborn. I'm Doug Wood. Patty and I will be back next week with another edition of Green Street News. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.